Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Welcome to All Options Considered. I'm Bloomberg Radio host Caroline Hepke. And I'm Tanvir Sandhu, Chief Global Derivative Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's research arm. So on this episode, we're going to be discussing the volatility in the stock market as well as the fresh UK inflation figures. Later in the programme, I'll be joined by Pierre Dessab from Dominice based in Geneva. But first, um, it's been a really kind of interesting week, hasn't it? A difficult week in some ways for markets. We've seen all of this equity volatility after the August US CPI print. I mean, we knew it was going to be very significant, but then the print came in hotter than expected. The markets had been positioned to see a cooling down of inflation. So very, very tricky and a big reaction in markets. What did you think about it? I expect equity volatility should continue to remain at elevated levels in the near term, given inflation is running hot. What we saw was the S&P have nearly a 20% bounce from the June lows and the VIX basing at around about 20 rather than revisiting the lows that we saw last year. Mm. The issue is that real yields are still negative. The sooner the central banks get into restrictive territory to get a grip on inflation, the less pain we are likely to see further down the road. So we're seeing these big drawdowns in the stock market on upside inflation surprises as it increases the risk of a higher terminal rate. What higher real yields mean is the further downward pressure on asset valuations Mm. as the real value of assets, whether it's stocks, bonds or property, can be analysed as the sum of the expected cash flows discounted by a riskless real yield. So a rise in real yields can be a headwind for valuations, which is reflected through a higher level of equity volatility. Mm. So what's happening in options markets then? How much concern, dare I even say panic, is there? Well, we haven't actually seen much panic in the options market, and there's no signal from the options market in terms of a sign of capitulation. Mm. Volatility has uh, seen reduced reactivity to the declines in the market this year. And it's likely a function of the fact that there's low exposure to equity Mm -hmm. and people have shifted into cash. And we can look at different uh, positioning metrics to judge this, such as one being the difference between long and short exposure in S&P 500 futures, which is close to the lows we saw in 2020. So the signs point to low equity exposure and increased shift into cash. Equity volatility has a higher floor, particularly because economic uncertainty is very high. Now, economic forecasting is an extremely difficult game, right? When we have inflection points in the economy, it's extremely difficult. And different pieces of data send different messages on the outlook when the economy is turning and it's very hard to kind of succeed in that game volatility as an asset class is very important 
and strategies come in many forms. The current market conditions point to a more actively managed strategy which can incorporate a mixture of different structures. I imagine quite a difficult moment to do that in, I'm sure. Um, I can imagine traders pondering that. But what also then is the kind of differing perspective from, from the UK? Because the inflation story is the one globally, isn't it? In Europe, in the UK, in the US, and, and further afield too. We've had the fresh data out of the UK in just the past few days. I mean, and you have to you factor in that Britain has sort of got the worst of the issues in terms of energy and tight labour market that, that Europe has and the US has. So, um, you know, are things looking any easier for the UK in terms of the inflation impact now? Yeah, that's exactly right. UK is an open, small economy, so it's more exposed to external factors. Now, we've seen some extreme volatility in the UK inflation markets. And it's particularly focused at the front end of the curve. So, for example, the one-year tenor. Now, the market was pricing RPI in one year to be around 12% before collapsing to about 6% on the news that Liz Trust will bail out energy consumers and cap household bills yeah. at £2,500 until 2024. So we saw this massive move from 12% pricing to 6%. The August CPI showed inflation nudged down to around 9.9%, largely due to a fall in fuel prices. And the BOE is basically set to hike at least 50 basis points at the September meeting, but the jury's still out for a 75 basis point hike, especially given, on one hand, the inflation data didn't surprise the upside, so that puts 50 basis points in play. However, the wage data mm. showed upside risk. One thing to note there, we have a new uh, MPC member who's kind of slanted dovishly, so it might keep things towards 50 basis points. The energy bill freeze yeah. was actually a massive change to the outlook. Yeah, It would likely help inflation peak soon. The government plan may have reduced the speed of hikes. On the flip side to that, it may mean the Bank of England bank rate stays higher for longer, given the massive fiscal easing the government is doing. Yeah, which is about to come our way in October, although we're awaiting, of course, the fuller details from the government, which no doubt um, we expect uh, in the coming days. Tanvir, thanks so much for being with me, talking through the markets uh, today, uh, and lots more to come on the podcast. Next up, we have Pierre Desarp from Dominis. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of All Options Considered. Hi, Pierre. It's great to have you on. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So if you can just briefly introduce yourself and your background in the options game. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, I, uh, I'm a partner at Dominice um, Asset Management based in Geneva. Um, our firm has been uh, uh, operating a relative value uh, volatility strategy since 2004. Um, uh, that was the original product, but now we have also strategies in equities in real estate, uh, and that's the asset manager 
asset management part of the business which I run. And then uh, next to that, we have also a wealth management business. Um, and myself, I um, uh, before joining Dominice, I spent uh, about 10 years uh, at UBS uh, working as a, an index derivatives trader. Great stuff. In terms of market dynamics, real yields are deeply negative across developed markets. And, you know, central banks are aggressively front-loading hikes. Obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty and economic model risk, given the wide range of macro outcomes. And a lot depends on the outlook of the labor market. And there are upside risks, right, to the terminal rate. So given that, we haven't seen it really any panic or signs of capitulation in the, the equity options market. And we had a note on this recently on how the overall low exposure in the market and increased allocation to cash are the main reasons that there has been a lack of bid to vol. So how do you see all this? I think the main reason, um, as you've said, is um, effectively that increase of um, interest rates uh, and inflation uh, and also inflation expectations was very much in the cards already uh, at the end of last year. Uh, and my view is that investors had a lot of time to adjust their portfolio and um, right. nobody really was surprised. The only element of surprise that came into the market was the crisis in Ukraine uh, that maybe uh, pushed inflation a bit higher um, uh, because of the increase in prices of commodities. But short of that, uh, I think most investors were waiting for uh, inflation and rates to pick up. And, you know, investors tend to focus a lot on, you know, peaks and, um, and, uh, and volatility, uh, sorry, equity volatility as a, as a reference, especially VIX, right? But this is really a fixed income crisis. So, yeah. yes, um, uh, if you look at measures uh, like the move index and other measures related to uh, to fixed income, uh, to FX, also to the tech sector, you know, Nasdaq vol, these measures have been actually quite extreme, right? Yeah. Whereas, yeah. whereas the main uh, the the main uh, measure for equity vol, which is the VIX, which is you know the the volatility of S and P five hundred, that hasn't moved a lot because there's really no reason for it to move a lot. I mean, realized vol has not massively increased. Uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of rotation between sectors, which also explain why um, volatility um, as a whole for the index doesn't move too much. And so I think, you know, um, I think that explains a lot why, why pop-up in volatility uh, on the equity side is, does not, does, simply does not take place at the, uh, this point in the market cycle what we've seen is you know if you've been buying puts this year you haven't done particularly well right and we have this natural downside skew in the options market given buying puts on the s&p 500 is the number one macro hedge in the world however equity vol has underperformed right and how do you think you should play this market through options Yes, um, uh, absolutely. And, and um, to go uh, uh, further to your point, you know, uh, the type of, uh, the type of um, instruments that investors like to use 
because that's also the instrument that worked the best in the last crisis, which was COVID, are typically, you know, colon VIX and uh, S&P puts, right? Turns out, you know, that, uh, for instance, a measure like VVIX, which measures the, uh, which is the VIX of VIX, uh, VIX option, so to speak, measures the, the vol of vol, implied vol of vol. This, measures ha- this measure has go down, gone down about 10% since the start of the year. And, you know, the skew index that the SIBO uh, calculates, you know, has lost almost 20%. And that is a clear sign that, you know, investors are not rushing to buy protection for the reason right. we, we, we mentioned before. Now, the, the trick, though, is not to think that because VOL has not popped up yet, there is no point no point of uh, owning vol or stopping to hold protection. Um, uh, I was I was looking back at the data and you take a year like 2008. In 2008, you had the first nine months uh, of the year where you had this slow um, grind down of the market. Um, and yet vol was, did increase only moderately. And then when we came closer to the end of the year, um, uh, there were two triggers that, you know, send it, you know, um, above uh, almost to, to a level of 80. And, you know, that can very well happen this year. Um, that shouldn't be uh, completely discounted. Um, it's, uh, you know, a thing to be down, you know, 10 or 15% when you are in March and you have a lot of time to make the loss ground. But as we are getting closer to the year, I think a lot of money managers and investors are going to become increasingly nervous. And um, you, you only need uh, you know, uh, a trigger somewhere, an external shock. I don't know what it's going to be. Maybe right. it's going to be the midterms. Maybe it's going to be uh, uh, an escalation in the situation uh, in Taiwan between uh, you know, a lot of tension between uh, US and China. Um, can be anything, but what I'm saying is, you know, and that's what investors should not forget, uh, you know, there is not enough protection out there to protect the entire equity market, right? So it's a bit, you know, we, we, we've done some analysis some time ago and we reckon the size of the option market can only cover maybe, you know, 30% of, um, uh, of the equity market, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, if it was like some kind of giant put, right? And so the way I see it is it's like, it's like you're sitting in an, in an airplane. There are some turbulences. Everything's fine so far. But, you know, if the plane starts going down really bad, there's only a three parachute per 10 passenger. And so, you know, when, 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 when if the situation comes to that, then you'll have a strong reaction. Well, this is why we need to see higher realized vol, right? For convexity pricing to have a payoff. And the, the, you know, you mentioned this grind lower in the market. This is the big risk to convexity pricing, which has been bleeding lower over the last few months. And we can see that through looking yeah. through metrics such as the spread between VIX and one month at the money implied vol. Um, Absolutely, that's another one. So we saw convexity stay at elevated levels after COVID. When we have these big vol shocks, you know, there's less vol supply in the market and convexity 
basically averaged at higher levels. But subsequently, you know, this year, that was the big thing, right? If the market does grinds, uh, you don't get a payoff. So far, that's absolutely the case, yes. Uh, funny enough, actually, the, the, the largest move, I feel, have been on the upside, right? Uh, I can tell you, uh, at least in our uh, way of trading these markets, uh, days where uh, the market has strongly rallied were almost more challenging than days where there were corrections. Right. What was actually interesting, you know, we saw that big rally of the June low, right? What stands out is probably the decline in the index skew. It's yes. essentially indicating that vol won't rise quickly if the equity market sell-off extends. And the skew didn't really respond to the uh, stock market rally of the June low, right? And when we talk about the skew, we're, we're, we're basically talking about the difference between vol on uh, puts versus uh, calls. Essentially, what it's telling us is uh, the demand for puts in the rally was limited and it's left calls trading relatively expensive, right? What we're seeing is, you know, uh, that the third momentum uh, of the distribution of the uh, returns, so the, the, the realized queue, so to speak, is weaker than it used to be. It turns out that uh, shocks to the downside are not as violent as they used to be and shocks to the upside tend to be more violent. So like right. um, like the fact that, you know, the market is is uh, realizing lower uh, than implied volatility, you may think that, you know, VIX at 27 currently is, uh, is, is, is fairly low, but, um, uh, you know, a, a one month measure of, of S&P 500 is going to be around the uh, uh, low 20s. Uh, there, you know, there, there is still a spread. It's a, there is a spread for for uh, any uh, save evil trader to go after, and so uh, it's not completely crazy to think that um, uh, skew would come down. Uh, we always thought that anyway, you know, skew was too expensive. Yeah, uh, I think it's a measure that was uh, driven a lot by uh, demand for hedging. Uh, but it doesn't mean that there is no um, fundamental value that you can uh, anchor it to. And I think there is a fundamental value for SKU, and that value is also going lower. So there is some logic to the decrease of SKU. This spread you mentioned, you know, if we, if we talk about the, the vol risk premium, which yes. effectively is measured by the difference between what is implied by the market and what actually happens with price action, right? So what we saw this year, it went to the most negative since uh, early 2020 in April, as vol basically lacked a response to the spike in realized vol. But what we've seen recently is the premiums picked up. We saw realized vol decline, but VIX floored at effectively around 20. So we've seen a decline in the correlation between S&P and VIX, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, that correlation is lower. But I don't think this is now a pattern that is necessarily meant to last for the for the coming years. It can be something that is really temporary and that you have you could have basically uh, uh, a catch up movement of uh, uh, implied vol um, if there is a there's a trigger in the market.
And as we're coming near the end of the year, the, the, the potential of investors uh, to panic on a bad news uh, gets higher. Right. If we look at in recent years, we've got used to mean reversion of vol, right? See these yeah. super, super fast spikes. But more interestingly is how fast it comes down. And that's partly to do with the fact that we've got accustomed to the central banks having the ability to respond in recent years. How do you see this evolving in terms of mean reversion of vol and its linkage to credit risk? As for the reaction of volatility, if such a, if such a spike does happen, I don't think, and by spike, I mean really uh, VIX going uh, you know, past 40, which is something that hasn't happened this year so far, uh, right. you know, which is amazing when you think about it. Um, but I think, I think if this happens, I don't expect also, uh, you know, the implied vol to, to come off, uh, as fast as we've seen in the past, because now the type of central bank action that we're getting is actually, uh, rates tightening, this type of things. Uh, and it's not, it's not the free put story anymore. Um, again, um, our main scenario um is not to have um such a crisis before the end of the year it's it's uh it's never the main scenario uh, let's be honest but it's a, it's a it's a non negligible probability we we as a firm and we're also managing you know uh, uh mandates and portfolio for our clients uh, diversified mandates and portfolios um we still think that um Equities has very little um, downside from here um, because in reality, the loss of value that investors will suffer will happen through the depreciation of money and not necessarily through lower prices. So when investors tell me, um, oh, I'm down 15% on my portfolio so far this year, well, actually you're down a bit more than that because you need to add inflation on top of that. Right. And so... Unlike, you know, 08, where, you know, you lost 50% and that was all in the price, whatever uh, drawdown, you know, investors um, uh, experience uh, so far this year and potentially over the coming month, some of that loss will be uh, through the loss of um, um, the value of their currency and not uh, necessarily through, uh, through lower prices. And does that mean if we see elevated volatility risk premium in the equity market is something you would want to extract? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We are completely uh, agnostic in terms of uh, being long or short volatility. As a, as a relative value uh, of players, we're trying to find the opportunities where they are. There are moments where it makes sense for us to be... Uh, long vol moments where it makes sense for us to be short vol and um, and in most cases we hold really both positions maybe not uh, in the same uh, on the same in the same size so far this year we've found more opportunities to be actually short vol across the board through our various investments uh, and i think this is um, this is likely to to continue uh, in the next few months, you could have an episode where um, there's a large crisis, but it's, as I said, it's not our main scenario. 
Um, I think, you know, if I take a step back and I look at, you know, generally speaking, how vault strategies have been performing so far this year, not just, you know, ours, but uh, the whole industry, um, you know, something I like to look at are the Eureka hedge indices uh, right. on vol, uh, for vol strategy. So you have basically uh, one index for short vol, one index for relative value uh, volatility, which we're part of. Uh, and then you have um, um, one index for long vol and another for tail, uh, tail risk. And it turns out, last time I checked on Bloomberg, uh, that all these uh, four indices are up year to date and up over a one year period. So that's, that's you know, the short vol index and the long vol index, you know, and of course the RV index, they're all up. And I think this is really, um, this is really a, a great testimony of how, you know, active management in the vault space uh, makes actually a lot of sense. I think anybody who's in the space and who's been operating for a few years is effectively very good at risk management and whether, you know, uh, the profile that investors uh, choose to go after is a long vol or an RV, uh, it really depends on, you know, what they need and what they're after. But the common factor between all the managers is, is the ability to handle properly uh, derivatives risk. Yeah, risk management is the name of the game and understanding chaos, randomness, uncertainty, model risk and everything else. So given, you know, vol has underperformed this year, how do you invest a C-vol fit in part of a portfolio? I think the, 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 the challenge with volatility investments is, is that investors or many investors uh, still have they still need to, to, to understand uh, a bit better how to fit that into a portfolio. And we, we try to spend, we, we spend actually a lot of time trying to, to educate them on the topic. There is a common, um, I would say, misunderstanding about how, um, how vol should work. Um, many investors I talk to uh, want to unpack the investment process. They want to find out what we trade, how we trade it, what kind of signals we use. Uh, and sometimes they lose sight of the big picture. And the big picture is what can the, what, how is the investment useful in a portfolio? Um, to me, vault strategies are a bit like uh, salt in cooking, right? You don't want to eat salt on your own, but normally if you put it with the other uh, ingredients, it just improves the dish. Right. It's a bit like that, right? You you um, you want to use uh, volatility strategies as a, as a way to improve your entire portfolio, and that's what you know my fellow manager tried to do. You know, Chris Cole, who was on the show uh, just two weeks ago, talked about a measure he developed just to to measure exactly that the added value of a volatility volatility strategy in a, in a portfolio. I think maybe the two. I would say the two common um, uh, blind spot of investors is uh, number one, um, they don't spend enough time uh, looking at the added value of volatility strategy in their portfolio. For instance, they're going to look at you know uh, fund XYZ uh, and try to assess it as a standalone investment uh, using maybe something like Sharp. 
whereas you can have investments typically typically the case for long wall fund where you know the sharp is not great but if you combine it with uh, the rest of your portfolio then um, uh, the effect uh, you basically improve the risk reward of the portfolio and so just you know that is one side that I think is a, is a bit overlooked. The second part, which is uh, even more hidden, which is the power of diversification across role strategies themselves, right? Uh, because I think that the best role fund is actually um, a fund of role funds, right? The volatility space is one of the last space where if you pull different managers, you are going to have diversification benefits. I think for, if you do that, for instance, in, uh, in um, uh, for instance, say long short equities, uh, I think it's tougher because, you know, um, a lot of these bets may cancel out, right? Uh, on the on the vol side, um, you know, derivatives have so many dimension and you have so many different ways, for instance, to hedge a derivative book you know, we could be trading, you could have three or four managers trading exactly the same product and you would end up with um, with basically a track re track records that would look very different and where you would have, you would have low correlation. And to me, the, 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 I think what investors should, should rethink is maybe spend less time trying to find the best ball fund and, you know, instead, take an approach where they're trying to pull several uh, vault fund or vault strategies together. And we know some investors who do that and right. who are very successful in this approach. It's interesting you mentioned, you know, sharp ratios and those sort of uh, metrics. We, we know the sort of pitfall of those. You know, if you have a stable return, it doesn't mean you're less likely to blow up, right? which is where overlay of a vol comes into play. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the, you know, something like the sharp ratio doesn't take into account uh, extreme risk. And, you know, many of the, I would say, more sophisticated investors that we, that we talk to would look at, you know, uh, more than just that. Nevertheless, it's very rare that we find ourselves in a situation where uh, the, the final investors, the final investor has gone at length to, uh, you know, really analyze, uh, you know, whether it's our product or other people's product in a in a portfolio context. The logic is still, uh, you know, we've looked at this uh, instrument uh, in every possible angle from every possible angle, and we're going to go through an investment committee that's going to vote uh, on that investment alone right right and i think and i think that's that's the um that i think is a is a is a, is a blind spot and again i think investors should really um try to rethink that approach especially for all funds so thanks for joining us today pierre it's great to have you on right thank you tanvir it was a pleasure speaking with you Thanks for listening to this edition of All Options Considered. I hope you'll join me, Tanvir Sandhu, and Bloomberg's radio host, Caroline Hepker, again. 